Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church family. Oh, that was not too bad, but we could do it again. Good morning, church family. Not only to those of you who are seated here, but to those of you who are also listening on both on the live stream and then I'm assuming afterwards at your convenience. Such a pleasure to be with you and to be able to sing. Uh, It has been a very long time since I've had the pleasure of gathering with a group and being able to worship the Lord in song. COVID has had its challenges, hasn't it? And I am for the first time speaking to you in a new facility for you. And it's lovely. Uh, God's blessing has been rich for you. And while it hasn't been without its challenge, that's in part what I want to speak with you uh, about. uh, The very personal relationship we have with Jesus. And the question that I'm really asking this morning as we begin is, Who is leading you on your life journey? Who is the one who's in charge of your life? Uh, Exodus chapter uh, 14 really does describe for us uh, an experience in the life of Israel, not just individuals within it, but the collective experience of the nation. It has, let me remind you, grown from a little family that was taken down in Joseph's time in Israel. Now, 400 years later, they are thousands of people. God has blessed them with fertility. God has blessed them with strength. God has blessed them in many ways. But then they came into slavery. So my first question that I want to ask you as you consider this passage of Scripture is one about Israel. And so have a look at that passage again and ask yourself both leading up to it and right in this passage, what are the traumas that Israel has faced under the leadership of Moses? Now, none of us sign on to be leaders to lead people into into trauma. But sometimes leaders have to face the fact that there will be traumatic events over which we have no control and cannot foresee that will affect the people that we're leading. This is a word to Pastor himself, just to say, you didn't sign on for these days, did you? You know, what do we mean by that? We, we don't sign on thinking that our leadership is going to be through the trauma of experience. We want to lead you into green pastures. We want to lead you beside still waters. We want to lead you into the blessing of the Lord. But sometimes God, in his wisdom and foreknowledge and in his plan for our lives, gives us positions of leadership that require us to lead our families, our businesses, our church through traumatic event. So some of you are going to write down Wow, the trauma that I read in this passage of scripture was here is Egypt behind them, here is the ocean in front of them, here is the desert around them. That's pretty traumatic. That is an event within their life where they do not know the next step they're going to take. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You just don't know the next step you're going to take. 
So the first question I'm asking you to list is, list the traumas that Israel faced under Moses' leadership. This is the current one. But they've just come through a very traumatic period in their lives. It's called the Ten Plagues. I don't know about you, but I would find all the water around me turning to blood rather traumatic. I know my wife would find the flies and the frogs traumatic. We were one time in Pakistan and they had what we would call a plague of frogs. The conditions were perfect for every little egg that every frog in the whole country laid to hatch. And we were sitting visiting friends in, in uh, Larkana and suddenly frogs were hopping on the floor. They were hopping over the coffee table. They were hopping into the bedrooms. We thought, this is, this is bizarre. And they were taking brooms and sweeping the frogs out of the house. And we looked, and in the evening, the whole of the yard was alive with little hopping frogs. Now, the birds came and had a feast. But I tell you, women who do not like critters in their house that don't belong there, uh, can be traumatized by that kind of experience. Can you imagine breathing, needing to put scarfs over your mouth because of the flies? Well, then we go further and we realize plague after plague after plague, hail was damaging all the crops, right? You know all the things that occurred, the cattle died. And then what was the worst plague? the night of crying throughout Egypt when the firstborn of every family lay dead in the house. How traumatic. How awful. And then Moses leads the children of Israel through the Passover and says, you need to take the lamb, put, you need to put ahead of that last plague the blood on the lintel and the doorposts, right? Would you say that was rather traumatic? Eat it with your coats on, eat it with your staff in your hand, eat it to the glory of God, but we are going to march out. And it says they went out defiantly. What does that mean? Hand raised, glory to God. Egypt is no longer our captors. And where are they now? Well, I, you, you look at the passage of Scripture, there's a little detail there. It says they looked up and they could see Egypt coming. Now, if you live in Canada, you realize we're so many rolling hills, you can't see anybody come from too far, unless you're in the flat of Saskatchewan. And then you can see your dog run away for three days. But they, couldn't, they, they were in the desert, flat, long land. And they could see Egypt on the horizon, the dust of the army coming ever step closer, and they were terrified. Now, I think that's traumatic. So they were in trauma. Now, God's in charge, and Moses is their leader, and they're facing trauma. So let's just pause for a moment as we've done this very brief study in the passage and said, wow, when God is my leader, and I have appointed under him, under shepherds like Pastor, Pastor J.S. Lynn, I'm still going to face trauma. I may still have to face trauma. So stop and think about what are the traumas that you have faced in your life so far. Just think about it. What are the traumas that you yourself have faced in life? Has it been in your family? 
Some of you have faced violence in your family. Has it been divorce? Have people who've said, you can count on me forever in life, I will never leave you, I will be there always for you, have they rejected you? Some of you have had parents who have not treated you well, abused you, neglected you, disempowered you in life. Some of you have had other tragic events within your life. Most of you know that I lost my son Jonathan when he was nine years of age. He was delivering newspapers after school and never came home. Was taken to the hospital, was struck by a vehicle, died in Children's Hospital in Vancouver. We were there with him 18 hours after his injury. Deep trauma. Some of you have faced other kinds of traumas within your life. Why am I asking you to think about trauma as you sit in the presence of God? Because if you are in charge of your life, dear friends, not only will you face those traumas, but you will face those traumas without the leadership of God, without the intervention of those he's appointed to lead you, and without the support of a community that is in obedience to the Lord himself. You see, none of us can protect our lives, can we? None of us can wake up in the morning, and although we might make the decision to study at a school and to obtain a certain kind of certification and to be able to take advanced degrees and to be able to move forward in life, none of us can predict where that life is going to take us, can we? Life is unpredictable. And life is full of challenge, but who is in charge of the journey of your life? Because if it's you, your resources are very small. If it's you, your fears will be very great. If it's you, the journey is very lonely. But if it's Jesus, then you will hear him say in the deep of the night, do not be afraid. I am with you. I will never leave you. He actually says when he adopts us, and we're going to come to the table of the Lord, and one of the great benefits and blessings that are ours in Christ as we journey is that your physical body is actually the dwelling place of the Spirit of God himself. Think about that. He, he's not just communing with your thoughts. He, he's just not directing when you come to a place of worship. He is abiding with you. He is in you. Just, just think about that for a moment. Allow the truth of the God who is among us, who indwells us and is in charge of the journey of our lives, will never abandon us to circumstance. He is with us. So as we think about the trauma of our life, Maybe you want to pause right at this moment 
and say, God, I've never thought about you being with me in circumstances I can't control, but I'm so grateful that you will never leave me and never forsake me. Thank you. That is so assuring for the Christian. That is so assuring for us as followers. So some of you have had great moves in your life. Some of you have had job changes that you didn't choose. Some of you have had death of children or death of parents or death of siblings within your family. Some of you have had injury. Some of you in this congregation have gone through war in the country of origin. Horrifying. Some of you have lost people in that conflict. Or you don't know if you've lost them. They've disappeared. It's unresolved grief. Some of you have faced, as I've said already, divorce or rejection or abandonment or sickness or chronic pain. So what does this passage teach us about God in those moments? I am with you. And hear this great line. I never intended you to experience this in life. And this is awful but the best is yet to come. What, we could say that with truth. He didn't intend this. This is all the result of the fall in the Garden of Eden, the choice of our progenitors. And it, it is circumstances that we've all fallen into. And he says, but I won't leave you. I won't abandon you. I'm going to direct you. And right now, as we sit in this auditorium, it is but a little window on the goodness of God. Or maybe for some of you, it's a big window. <laughs> that you couldn't see God directing you this way. Things were looking a little tough for you. Or a lot tough for you. Very challenging. And now you sit in a place of God's provision. And you say, not too shabby. Pretty good, God. Thank you for your kindness. And it fuels my faith that in greater traumas, more difficult journeys, you'll be with me. So what does this passage teach us about God? I've been salting that with a few things I've already said to you. But look at the passage. Here they are marching out under Moses' leadership. It's a happy day. They're leaving their slavery. They're going to the promised land. Moses is their champion. They've seen the ten plagues. Egypt has been devastated. Right? It's a great moment. Now, some of them really weren't equipped for the walk. I can hear the grumbling at the back end already. How long till we get there? It's not just four-year-olds that ask that. So where is God in all of this? What's he doing for the people? What do we learn about God in this passage? Well, number one, I think we might write down, some of you might be writing down right now, God provides for and cares for his people, full stop. We need to write that with a full stop so that when we're in those moments that make us question whether or not God is in charge, we can look back and say, yes, I think God is in charge. I believe by faith God is in charge. I don't know how this is going to work out yet, but God is in charge. Amen? We need to fuel our faith. 
Well, one of the other things we read in this passage of scripture is that God brings himself glory by humbling our enemies. I don't know about you, but I love that line in Psalm 23 that speaks to this, where David and his leadership is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and then comes that line, he prepares a banquet table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of banquet place I want to go to. Why? Because when your enemies are surrounding you, they're not too happy that you're having a banquet. They're even more agitated with you. They're even more frustrated. They're even more determined. They ratchet up their intention to do something that would harm the people of God. And here's what we learn about God. He's not afraid of anything. He's not even afraid of your weakness in in an appointment of challenge. Now that's something that you have to adjust to in the presence of God that he is not worried about your weakness when he assigns you to trauma. He's not worried about it. He's got it covered. That might be of little comfort to you because what it means is that when you are going to pray, oh God, no, 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 oh God, no, he's going to say yes. Really? Why? Because he wants to bring himself glory in a way that cannot be demonstrated any other way. No, that's the cross. Do you know that those words came from Jesus' mouth ahead of his crucifixion? Do you know what he said? Some of you shouted out. Let this cup. He was saying, no, is there another way? Really, that's the emotion of this. Father, I don't want this. Well, He's not saying I'm disobedient. I'm not saying that Jesus was ever reluctant to be obedient, but I am saying that the full weight of the impending crucifixion was on him, and he cried out with the full humanity that we understand in Jesus, oh no! Right? Now, why am I leading you to that with drama and passion? Because if Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, felt the weight of the trauma of the cross, you are not weak, and God is not indifferent to you, when in your trauma you cry, you beg, you plead, you try to negotiate. That is not a human experience that God the Father despised in his Son and he does not despise it in us. Really. It's such a window of God's care for us and provision for us in agony, in suffering, in hurt, in wound, in trauma. So where is God? What do we learn about God? He's not afraid. He is not deterred of leading us through places where he can support us And he will receive the glory and he will not give us an exemption from the trauma of life. He'll lead us and sustain us. And at the other side we'll say, oh, so that's what you were doing. I couldn't see it at the time. Right? 
because we can't. And still, he's faithful. Still, he's faithful. And sometimes in those circumstances, as we've come through them, we go, I could never have chosen this, but I am so grateful for your provision. I wouldn't give the experience away. Now, that's a mature Christian who can look back on it and say, my goodness, it was tough. And you were good all the way. Thank you, Jesus. Right? What does this passage teach us about people? Especially people around us and people inside us, us ourselves, I guess I'm saying. What does it teach us about ourselves and about people around us when we face trauma? Just have a look at their, their expressions. What do the people in this event say to Moses when he's leading them right to the edge of the Red Sea? What do they say? I told you this was a bad idea. <laughs> right? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you need to bring us and bury us where no one will find us or mark our life in the desert? I mean, they're pretty upset, aren't they? Oh, they're pretty upset. You see, it was all fine when there was no challenge. But now that the challenge and the journey has started, the people pretty quickly accuse leaders. Has that been your experience, Pastor J.S. Elin, ever? No, 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 not with this team ever. Never, never, never. You know why I'm teasing you. Because, look, if you're going to be a leader, you're going to face challenge. Do you think Trudeau is facing a few challenges today? Now, some of you, depending on which side of the political spectrum you were on, might be saying good, and some of you might be crying, oh, God have mercy. Well, actually, all of us ought to cry out, God have mercy. It's tough to be a leader right now. Do you think the same thing about Premier Ford? What about Dr. Tam? What are we saying? Every armchair quarterback who's not in the game but sitting on the side has an opinion about how leaders are doing. Fair? So, so they criticize their leaders for sure. But what are the other things that they say about people? Well, number one, it says that we as human beings are prone to fear. So if you are a person that deals with anxiety, welcome to the average human being in our race. We all face anxiety. Now, some of us show it, some of us don't. Some of us are like the duck on the pond. Everything on the, above the water is really calm, but those little feet are just going like crazy underneath. Do you know what I mean? So what I'm suggesting is fear is a natural response to threat, particularly when we don't know how we're going to handle it. This COVID business is pretty threatening for people, right? We haven't seen the end of it. We don't know where it is. And so the big conversations around it in academic circles and in journals that I'm reading are, is it an event like a blizzard? Uh, is it a season like winter? Or is it an epic that is going to go on for a lot longer? So it's interesting when you talk to healthcare professionals and you talk to people who have no knowledge of health at all, how they have a difference of opinion, right? 
And I'm not saying the opinions on either side aren't informed. I'm saying there's some challenges with this about how we face. We're prone to fear. We're prone to criticize. We're prone to doubt God. Right? We're prone to doubt God. Didn't we tell you before, and I, I want to know in the scripture, I, I can't see any indication that they actually said to Moses, didn't we tell you that? No, I don't see it. But in their heads, they said it. So then, in the moment, they speak it and say, I think we said this before. And I go, well, no, I don't remember you ever saying this. Well, I should have said it. Because <laughs> I thought it, right? What are we saying? That all of us practice revisionism in history. All of us are prone to fear. All of us are prone to anxiety. And what do we learn about leadership in verses 13 to 16? Now Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, great leader. Calm down. Take a breath here. Just breathe for a moment. Let the dust settle. And let's just think about this, right? Do not be afraid. Stand firm. Well, that's an easy thing to say because where are they going to go? You know, he doesn't mean stand firm in physical sense. He means stand firm in your possession as the children of God. Hold on to your hope. Don't abandon faith now. Now, those are great words for the leader to speak, but I want you to read the next thing, because he says, you're going to see the deliverance of God. He's a man that's capturing the faith of the people in the crisis. This is how he responds to this immediate trauma. The Egyptians will see, that you see today, you will never see again. That is his confidence. Then in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Great words. True words. Hope-filled words. Settling words. Excellent words. Then in verse 15, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Now, now that's just a minute. Wasn't that Moses who just said to the people, calm down and trust the Lord and this is what you're going to see? Why is God saying in verse 15, why are you crying out to me? Because that's what Moses did. And that's what leaders do, honestly. I can tell you for a fact that your pastor did not shake in front of you the way he shook in front of God. What do I mean by that? No, I mean that honestly. And it's not that we're being pretentious and we're not being false. We're not being disingenuous. We're not playing two roles. We're saying my role to lead a congregation through trauma is to demonstrate the calmness and peace that Jesus gives me with the con utter conviction he's going to provide a way. And then say to God, what's the way? Right? Oh, honestly. So as you pray for your leaders, for your pastor or for others in the country... What they demonstrate in the public eye is not the way they feel in the private moments where they're exercising leadership, faith, and hope when they don't have all the information they need and they really don't know the plan. God hasn't told them yet. So they're just as human as you are. This is my famous, favorite line, not my famous line. No one quotes me, but it's my line. I quote it to myself all the time. I'm just a man. I put my legs on, my pants on one leg at a time. Every other man does that, right? Leaders down. They put them on. You know, none of us, well, I guess I shouldn't say none of us. Maybe some of you have tried suspending your pants and jumping into them. But most of us sit down and put them on a leg at a time. We put a sock on at a time. We put a shoe. What am my point? We're human. 
And human beings have all the same experience. Leadership does require us in a different venue, right? If I was doing this in a conference, I'd be really talking to pastors seriously about this. Be easy on yourself and be gentle with your people. You're just a man who puts his pants on a leg at a time. This is normal. This is what it feels like to bear this weight. Oh, guys, I'm already too late. I need to wrap it up, don't I? Pastor, you've been so kind, you haven't given me a beep. So, so let me conclude. He does two things. He expresses faith and he expresses distress. And in verse 14, what is God's solution? Just stand still. Moses doesn't know yet, but God says to Moses, take that rod I gave you and, you know, strike the water. It's going to part. And a wind came up. And so there was Israel afraid all night long and Moses praying, oh God, I hope this works all night long. Right. Right, faith, right at that moment, wanting to see God's power at work. And it says, a strong wind blew and the waters parted and Israel in the morning crosses. But none of them know it right now. The point that I'm making is God's provision very often cannot be seen and understood when you're in the trauma. It's when you're at the other end, you see it and go, oh, that's what you were doing. Thanks be to God. You see, what do I know that I have learned from this that God is asking me to obey today? I believe one of the things that you might write down is, today I affirm my faith in Jesus. He is worthy of my trust. It might well be that in my circumstance right now, and you're facing a circumstance that I don't know anything about, but it's as if God is opening up your heart and he's saying, do you hear this? You need to trust me in this today. And we're saying, I will trust God and not be afraid. And then you label in this. It may well be that you are being challenged about a decision that you've been making and you've been dithering whether you're going to obey God or whether you're going to try and use human reason. And maybe you need to say to God, I'm going to trust you. Because here's the question, does God always say, don't do anything, just sit there? No, he doesn't always say that. If you decide that's the thing, the principle you base your life on, you are in from some rude shocks, my friend. Because obedience doesn't only mean sit there. Obedience means get up and move. How do you know the difference? The answer is you must listen always to the Lord. The principle is not to do nothing. The principle is to listen. Tune in to Jesus. And maybe that's going to be your affirming obedience. Today I affirm that I will align myself with God, his promises, and his leadership. Father God, as we've studied this passage today, you've taught us so many things in the life of Israel that touch our experience right now. Thank you for being a God worthy of trust. Thank you for being a God faithful to us in all circumstances. Thank you for giving us leaders that lead us that are both faith-filled and human who relate to us and know how to calm us. Thank you for our pastor today. Thank you for this congregation. I pray your blessing and grace and goodness would rest upon it and it would flourish like a fertile tree 
planted by rivers of water, bringing forth its leaves and its fruit in season. In Jesus' name, amen.